Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. If you've got 90 minutes, I've got information to give you looking at current events around the world that actually are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have six broadcast partners standing by. They will give us the information we need to know about what is happening in our world today. For example, at the beginning of the next half hour, Winky Madad, who is in Israel, very politically savvy. Then Colonel Bob McGinnis, he works at the Pentagon. He works in the area of strategic planning. Bob has released a scathing report on the first two months of the Biden administration as it relates to the U.S. military. We'll kick off the reports with Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities for us around the world. And Ken, you sent me a note that you have an article in the American Thinker. And the title, I think, of your story is Biden's Obsession with the Iranian mullahs. And that's concerning to me because of the statement he's made. He's going to renew that Iranian nuclear deal. Tell us about your article. That's right, Jimmy. Look, the Biden regime is cozying up to Iran, while at the same time, they're blowing cold on Saudi Arabia. And specifically, Biden has singled out the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, as his enemy, uh, somebody that he wants to isolate and render ineffective as a political player, if not worse. So I wrote in the American Thinker about this and the dangers that I see in going into a new nuclear deal with Iran, but even more so of throwing the Saudis under the bus. The Biden administration seems to see this as a zero-sum game, that they can cozy up to Tehran, but in order to do so, they have to walk away from Riyadh. And we've seen this in Yemen, where they have cut off arms sales to Saudi Arabia because of its involvement in Yemen. Who else is in Yemen? Well, of course, it's the Iranians who are there backing the Houthis. So I go into this in The American Thinker. You can find it from my website, KenTimmerman.com. But I think it's a very, very dangerous development. There were uh, many uh, backdoor meetings during the Trump administration between top Democrats, including John Kerry, but also several U.S. senators with officials in Iran. And my sources say that they were plotting an October surprise to prevent President Trump from winning re-election. I go into that in the article a little bit as well, and you'll see that some bad things happened after those meetings between the Democrats and the Iranians to thwart President Trump. Joe Biden made the statement on an ABC interview this week that uh, Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, is a killer. What does that mean? Go into that for us. Well, you know, the Democrats are obsessed with Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. That's all they seem to care about. And the Russians really have pretty much retrenched, at least from their open hostility towards the United States. Uh, Now, there's some caveats to this, and we'll talk about Britain a little bit later in this report. But the Russians are no longer confronting us at the full the gap in Germany. But for Joe Biden and the Democrats, it's all about Russia. Why? Because that takes the focus, that distracts us, uh, that deflects our attention from China And it deflects our attention from China's involvement with COVID. It deflects our attention from China's stealing of our intellectual property and all of these other things that they have been doing 
to oppose U.S. interests that President Trump stood up against. So really, when, when Biden says Putin is a killer, what he's trying to do is essentially to distract us from the failings, I believe, of his foreign policy, whether that be towards China or, as we just mentioned, towards Saudi Arabia and Iran. Let's continue to talk about Russia. The fact is, Russia is warning the United Kingdom's nuclear arsenal plan would hamper and cause real problems in global security. Is that really the case, or is this just a a PR move by the United Kingdom? Well, here is the caveat, okay? The Brits uh, are seriously worried about Russia, and they have recently published a new national security doctrine uh, where they are calling to expand their arsenal from 180 to 260 nuclear warheads, but with new generation warheads uh, and with new generation ballistic missile submarines starting in 2030. This is a big deal. It's a huge uh, modernization and expansion of Britain's relatively small arsenal, uh, an arsenal that is coordinated with NATO. But, you know, it complicates things for Russia because those nuclear weapons even though they are under the NATO umbrella, are under British sovereignty, under British sovereign control. So the Russians can't be 150% sure that Britain will walk in lockstep with the United States. The same thing with France. Uh, it's, it has always been a problem for the Russians and the Soviet Union before that you have these two additional nuclear arsenals in France and in Britain uh, tied to NATO, but not completely controlled by NATO. So this is a serious increase in Britain's military defensive capabilities, and it's something that the Russians are seriously worried about. It's right on their doorstep. In our conversation today, Ken, I'm not able to get away from Russia because I understand everybody is aware of the fact that Russia has military personnel and armament and even bases in Syria. But now it looks like Russia's trying to play the kingmaker as well over in Lebanon. What do we know? Well, this past week, a Hezbollah delegation came to Moscow and was publicly acknowledged by the Russian foreign ministry. That's pretty significant because the Russians have tried to play a low-profile role in Lebanon and not to make it terribly public that they've been supporting Hezbollah. But when you have this delegation coming to Moscow, it's kind of hard to ignore. And what we learn in addition to this is that the Russians have, in fact, been arming Hezbollah in Syria for at least the past six years. And they began doing so in 2015 at the behest, at the specific request of the then Quds Force commander, Qasem Soleimani. Remember the Iranian general who was killed in Baghdad? Uh, on January 2nd, 2020, in a drone strike by U.S. forces. So this is pretty significant, where Hezbollah, uh, which is challenging the stability uh, of Lebanon, is now supported by Russia. So uh, I think this is something we've got to keep on our radar screen and see what the Russians are really trying to do in Lebanon, right on Israel's doorstep. Yes, at the northern border there. We will stay on top of it, keeping our eye on this situation there in the Middle East, Syria, Lebanon, and Israel, and of course Russia, and their component as well. But Iran is there in Syria, and I understand back home, Iran is putting together a new ballistic missile launch area, firmly committed to developing a missile capable of 
really causing some real bad problems in the region. Give us the latest on that. Well, it's really remarkable to me to see the advances of satellite technology. Let me tell you, we now have commercial satellite agencies that have better intelligence and better photographs than the U.S. used to have, let's say, two decades ago. And these are coming out on the Internet. So so they discovered one of these private satellite agencies, a group called Maxar, discovered this Iranian missile site close to the Persian Gulf, about in the center part of Iran, 500 miles from Kuwait, about 800 miles from Israel, 200 miles from the United Arab Emirates. And these are missile silos. These are fixed missile sites, not the mobile launchers that they've got, but fixed missile sites. So this is where Iran will put its big missiles. It'll position them uh, permanently underground in these silos, uh, just as we have ICBM silos up in South Dakota, right? The the same thing for Iran. It's a new generation missile. It may be nuclear capable. We don't know that yet. They have not yet put missiles in the silos. But the Iranian regime and their military leadership is talking about expanding their missile capability. So this is something also which is uh, troubling. All of you listening into this conversation must recognize that the players we're talking about, the nations involved in our discussion, are all players in the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. And that also includes Israel and China. Uh, Ken, tell me about, uh, you know, the Pompeo visit in Israel when he was Secretary of State. He warned Israel about China. Now they have a dilemma. What is that? Well, the Israelis, on the one hand, they're obviously our big security partner. They, they see themselves as America, almost as America's 51st state in, in many ways. And they exclusively use American weapons with Israeli weapons. They've integrated our technologies. We work together on missile defense. In fact, the Israelis have the lead in missile defense, really, over the United States. But they also have a commercial relationship with China. And this has caused some friction between the Pentagon and the IDF. The Chinese have signed a deal to control the the port of Haifa, Israel's biggest port, the third largest city. This is something that the U.S. has actually had pretty heated talks about with the Israeli government and with the Israeli uh, Defense Force. Uh, They're also involved in building the uh, Tel Aviv Light Rail and and the port of Ashdod. So the Chinese are getting into uh, Israeli infrastructure. They're also getting into Israeli high-tech companies. And at some point, at some point, uh, Israel is going to have to make a strategic decision. They're not there yet, but we'll have to make a strategic decision. Do they value that commercial partnership with China more than they value the military, strategic, and commercial relationship with the United States? And the reason I went to Ken Timmerman about China and Israel and the dilemma that Israel has now is because both of these, Israel and China, major players at the end of the seven-year tribulation period just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Ken Timmerman, the man who is on top of and gives us his insight into these current events, geopolitical events happening around the world that are key for our understanding on the prophetic scenario upcoming very quickly. Ken, thank you so much, my good friend. Appreciate this conversation. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan has his Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here at Broadcast Central. We are taking the information from our six broadcast partners, helping us to understand how the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's the main mission of our broadcast Do us a favor, tell others we have a podcast. We have a number of friends across the countryside not able to have this broadcast on a local affiliate, but they go to the Internet at their convenience. That's great. Prophecytoday.com, then to Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's how you can get it. Well, one of the reports from one of our broadcast partners, the Middle East News Update from David Dolan is key for each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy. So let me go right to the news with David. I understand, David, that Joe Biden, the president, is seeking a Palestinian reset. In other words, he wants to return to the 67 borders and allow for a Palestinian state, a two-state solution. What is Israel saying about Biden's desire to do that? Well, Jimmy, as we've discussed before, there's no surprise at all in Jerusalem over that uh, stand. That was the position of the Obama-Biden administration uh, for eight years. It really was the position of the George W. Bush administration, and really all the way back to the um, capture of the East Jerusalem and the West Bank, uh, Judea and Samaria, and Gaza and other places in 1967. So, It was Donald Trump that stepped aside from that, turned his attention more to 
uh, making peace agreements between Israel, sponsoring them, and that sort of thing, really taking a tough stand on Iran. So uh, it's going back to the same old policy, but as I've said before, Jimmy, the Palestinians are still in a mess. Uh, Hamas still controls Gaza. Uh, the PLO controls Judea and Samaria. New elections are scheduled, but who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, it's the last item, I can tell you that, on Israel's agenda right now. They're far more concerned with what's going on with Iran, with Syria, the breaking relations with Jordan, strains with the new partnership with the UAE, the U.S. changing policy on Russia. They're more concerned about all those things, and they're not really thinking too much at the present time about U.S. policy with the Palestinians. I can remember back in 1993, you and I, both journalists there in Jerusalem, covered the signing of the Oslo Accords in Washington, D.C. between President Clinton, president at the time, and Yitzhak Rabin, Prime Minister of Israel, and Yasser Arafat. In that Oslo Accords, there was a statement that the Palestinians were to negate from the PLO Charter any statement about wanting to annihilate, get rid of the Jewish state. However, now I understand that on Palestinian Authority television, they're talking about that PLO charter, and none of those items in the charter have been taken out. They still want to destroy the Jewish state. Can you update us on this? Well, Jimmy, that was a beautiful ceremony between Israel and the Palestinians, and then the next year we had it with the late King Hussein of Jordan and uh, Bill Clinton presiding over both of those accords and a lot of fanfare. But it only took seven years for the uh, peace treaty to effectively fall apart completely in the year 2000 with the second Palestinian uprising. And as I've mentioned before, when the Palestinians actually again ordered their security forces to fire upon Israeli soldiers and Israeli positions, so uh, there's really been no peace accord all these years that has been really in place. Some of the security arrangements that came out of Oslo are still in place. There is some security cooperation still. The Palestinians still control certain areas and Israel the rest. But nothing much has moved. And again, there's not much likely to move. So they're not surprised. They didn't expect much more than this from the Palestinians, the Israelis. They were hopeful but uh, they've gone back to their we-want-to-see-Israel-destroyed line. And really, Yasser Arafat did that again in 2000, saying again, we'll drive all the Jews eventually into the sea. So there's no peace process uh, really in that sense. Let me insert some good news here in your report, if you will, David. This last week, a report of some Bible scroll fragments being found near the Dead Sea area in the Dead Sea Caves, where we had the original uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Can you talk to us about this? This is great news, possibly one of the great archaeological finds of all time. Well, Jimmy, they started in 2017 to search hundreds of caves that were known to exist, but were so hard to get to, very high up in gorges and sheer wall cliffs and all of this. But the Antiquities Department launched a campaign to try to get to all of them and see what else might still be in there. Of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls found at Qumran in some caves in the late 40s and early 50s, but nothing really has been found since then. Well, for the last three years, they've been looking, and indeed, they've found quite a 
few things, including uh, some scrolls that contain scriptures from Zechariah and the prophet Nahum. They found uh, other writings, Jewish writings. They found a lot of coins. They even found an old woven basket they say is 10,000 years old, but it's definitely very old, and only the conditions of the desert could allow that to still be around after all these centuries. So very difficult, meaning that uh, thieves, I call them that, but people that go out and try to find these things, mostly Palestinians, and then sell them and make quite a profit, they haven't been able to get to most of these places. They're using drones, they're using rappelling equipment, uh, high advanced to things. They say there's about 600 caves that have been examined and there's more to come. So this will continue and they'll make another announcement of what they find. But just a reminder, the Jews were there in ancient times. Jewish coins were found. Hebrew was found and more of the Bible. The ancient prophets were found. So it is very exciting indeed. A very exciting story. The basis for our understanding of the authenticity of our Bibles that we read from today. This is exciting news coming out of Israel. Well, talk to me about the Iranians. They are constantly trying to scare the Israelis and frighten them with the possibility of what they think they can do. Iran now saying they have the capacity to annihilate the Zionist regime that is in place. Uh, Do you think that's a viable possibility? But Israel is paying attention to it anyway, aren't they? Oh, they're very much paying attention to that. Like I said earlier, the Palestinians are now more background noise, but the Iranians are an active opponent that's increasing its strength all the time. They revealed recently that they have an underground missile production site. They actually showed footage of it on uh, state TV in Iran. They're boasting about their missile capabilities. They're talking about how they're expanding their drone uh, capabilities. And by the way, more attacks from yet on Saudi Arabia this week by those Iranian-supplied drones. More action in uh, Syria. The Israelis, uh, by the way, expressing concern over the Biden administration's uh, tough stand on uh, Vladimir Putin with the defense minister saying that uh, this was extreme, the statements that uh, Biden was making. They're afraid that their actions in Syria will be curbed by the Russians. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, and this is another indication of that. But Iran remains their number one enemy in all that they're doing and arming and getting ready for war. And they made plain this week that they're not really going to stop their nuclear program. Even if there's negotiations, they're moving full speed ahead. Let me go back to President Biden just for a moment. Uh, There was a headline here in America that President Biden could actually trigger a regional war by reviving the nuclear deal there in Iran. That is very viable as well, isn't it? There's a consternation, is all I can say, not only in Jerusalem, but in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, and other U.S. allies over the Biden administration's uh, change of policies here, because most of what President Trump did was successful, and it was leading to a more peaceful region. Nobody foresaw that we'd have a peace accord or a peace agreement, at least, with uh, Sudan, for instance, and uh, Morocco was possible, but not Sudan, and then, of 
course, the UAE and Bahrain as well. And uh, that just seemed uh, positive. And, you know, let's keep going forward in that. But uh, the Biden administration seems determined to move back on some of these things. And like I said, their main concern in Israel at the moment, according to the press reports I've seen, is this hardening of position with Russia. President Trump took some strong actions against Russia, but his rhetoric was pretty mild, whereas Biden's calling Putin a killer. Well, that didn't make Putin very happy. And, uh, you know, again, Israel's relations with Russia are very important. So they have their main ally, the United States, bashing a country that they need to work with very closely. So they're a bit puzzled by all this. It seems very counterproductive. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, his Middle East news update key for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. I said Wiki Madad will be here at the broadcast table in a moment and talking about the upcoming elections. All ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We move into our second half hour. We've asked you for three half hours, 90 minutes of broadcast time when we will be bringing to the broadcast table our broadcast partners from across the world. Detailed information about what is going on as we compare current events with the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. At the top of the hour this half hour, we're going to be talking with Colonel Bob McGinnis. He is working at the Pentagon in the area of strategic planning. Retired military officer, now still on contract with the Pentagon, he has just issued a scathing report on the first two months of the Biden administration as it relates to the United States military. That's at the top of this half hour. You do not want to miss it. But right now, we go to Israel to a place called Shiloh. It's the location where the Jewish people, the Israelites, under the leadership of Joshua, went back 3,500 years ago to establish the promised land for the Jewish people, which God had given to the Jewish people. Now, this has a great historic and biblical significance. We don't have time to talk about that because, Winky, 
I want to discuss with you the political arena in Israel. Upcoming in a couple of days, the fourth election in two years. Winky, you are politically savvy. What is wrong with the political process there in Israel? Well, what is wrong is that we cannot seem over the past three elections to firmly have one coalition set in government with no possibility for being juggled around or dislodged or people breaking off for the regular four-year period. And that is because the population, the voting electorate, has not given either the Likud or any other large party a significant number of seats. We've been through this before, and our faithful listeners probably know that in Israel, it's a parliamentary democracy, and therefore a coalition of 61 seats is required as the majority out of the 120 seats in the Knesset. But never in all the past 70-plus years has any one party gained that majority. So the, he always, uh, the leader of the Likud or the Cherut party in the early days of the state, or Mapai or the Labor Party, to give another example, always have to shop around uh, for coalition partners, and that always leads to a certain amount of instability. This last government was horrendous, to tell you the truth. And uh, maybe this time, finally, we'll be, have a different picture or a different result. That's what I was going to ask you, Winky. You think this fourth try will do the trick this time? Well, it depends on two major, relatively new, center-right parties. Uh, one uh, more veteran is the Naftali Bennett-Yamina party. Uh, Yamina meaning uh, right or to the right. And a breakaway list led by Gidon Sa'ar, right out of the could, both of them claiming to not to join with Netanyahu uh, after the elections. And so the question is, if I could shorten my answer to a very complex issue, these two gentlemen will have to make a decision. Do they stay away from Likud and Mr. Netanyahu, or do they come in and under what circumstances? Because according to the latest polls we're seeing this past week, Netanyahu has, with one of those two parties, over 60 seats for his coalition. And I would presume, Jimmy, that there'll be a lot of pressure on either one of them to quit fooling around, if I could express it that way, join Netanyahu, let's get four years of government and argue only at the end of that four-year period, uh, rather than immediately after the elections getting into arguments one with another. Winky, I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but as I mentioned earlier, you are very politically savvy. Now, you've mentioned three peoples there that have a possibility of forming a coalition government. Actually, can they do that? I mean, will they be able to form a government pretty easily this time? Well, look, the polls are giving Netanyahu around 30 seats. 
give or take one or two, okay? So he needs another 30 or so. There are the what we call the ultra-Orthodox parties. Both of them probably together will be giving somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or so. And so all he needs is one of those other two parties that I mentioned, Yamina or the New Hope, and he's over the 61. It's a question of post-election negotiations, what uh, ministerial positions they will be given or offered by Mr. Netanyahu. Mr. Netanyahu has refused, though, to go into another rotation agreement. If I can remind you that Mr. Gantz, from the Blue and White Party, and Netanyahu were supposed to do a two-year, two-off period of rotation, and that, of course, was one of the sticking points that brought about the collapse of the government several months ago. Will we return to normal coalition politics? That is the hope. I don't think people want to go to elections again within a year. I know that in the last three elections... President Trump was in office at the White House in Washington, and I'm wondering, will the Biden administration play any role in the elections like President Trump did in the past? I don't think in the election, but in the coalition negotiation in the post-election day results, most probably, uh, I could give you a scenario. We are hearing reports this past week that One of the pro-Palestinian officials in the State Department has come up with something called a reset program uh, for renewing United States relations with the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Many people will say either to Mr. Bennett or to Mr. Saar, if the Biden administration is going pro-Palestine or relatively pro-Palestine rather than more pro-Israel, the pressure from the press or from uh, the people in the street or political activists, etc., will be very strongly on them to stop standing off from Netanyahu but get together for the betterment of the country. That's one way it could play out. When you look at the outcome of the elections, the possibility of putting a coalition government together, what are the main issues they're going to be dealing with, Winky? Is Iran still number one, or what other issue could be more important? The issues will be Iran is still number one. Second will be economy. Don't forget we have signed some peace agreements with the United Arab Emirates and other uh, Arab countries, which we expect investments and shared economic profits for both countries. For example, Mr. Netanyahu is talking about a COVID vaccination plant in Israel uh, from Pfizer uh, with advanced research, of course, that would pull in probably uh, a lot of jobs and money uh, in the situation that we're facing, but also internal issues such as facing the Supreme Court and the state prosecutor's office that has been proven very much an interfering element in the uh, ongoing government. And so that, of course, that will be another issue. As Mr. Netanyahu's trial proceeds, we'll see if he is being proven less guilty than assumed. His stance, his role, his his position, of course, will increase greatly. He's been in office now, what, about 15 years or so, that uh, will only make him very attractive in the eyes of any uh, electorate in a future election. 
Well, a future election, I hope, is number four upcoming on the 23rd of March. And if indeed they have that election, they start to try to put together a coalition government. We'll have to have Winky Madad back to analyze what is going on and see if they can put together that government in Israel. Winky, thank you so very much for your input to us today. Your insight is always terrific. Appreciate it. We'll try to get together again next week. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on again. And goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, we'll change now from the region of the Middle East to the area of the European Union. The man covering that for us, John Rood, a resident of Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years, knows that region of the world, knows the politics of it, and is a prophecy teacher at the same time. So we bring information to the table here at Prophecy Today that will assist you in understanding how current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. John, it looks like the chief of NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, has some serious concerns about Turkey. Fill us in on that story. It was a very remarkable uh, situation, actually, that the NATO Secretary General addressed the European Parliament. I don't remember such a thing. Many times, U.S. representatives will deal with the individual governments and will not go straight to the European Union headquarters. But here again, there's 30 NATO nations in Europe, and so he spoke in the European Parliament. Again, that's very significant and spoke of the serious concerns about Turkey. Of course, we understand their behavior, Eastern Mediterranean, buying the Russian air defense system, democratic uh, rights in the country, etc. And there's a current escalation that's going on. And so I see it highly significant that the Secretary General went straight to the European Parliament. This is, this is a bit unusual. That's interesting you should mention Russia, because Russia is warning the United Kingdom, uh, that's Great Britain, uh, that their nuclear arsenal plans seem to cause a problem in global security. We need the details on that story as well, John. Yes, Russia has given a warning to the United Kingdom. There was a continuation of the START Treaty between, which is really it's the only remaining treaty from the Cold War era for uh, arms reduction, strategic arms reduction between Russia and the United States. That was just renewed, in a sense, in January. But the United Kingdom has unilaterally made a decision to increase their nuclear arsenal over... It takes many years to do this, to replace uh, older weapons. But they would increase the stockpile, the arsenal, from 180 to 260 nuclear warheads. So Russia is taking note of that and making comments, of course, coming against that. So they have given a warning to the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has been strong on Russia over the the situations recently. But uh, as a whole, the Russian relations are pretty much at a low with the U.S., with the U.K., and with the European Union. Looks like Boris Yeltsin, who is the Prime Minister of the UK, is sending out some of his own warnings. 
He is saying that Iran's nuclear breakout is a threat to the region. Uh, This is true, I'm sure. Give us what the Prime Minister of Great Britain had to say. Yes, I caught some of the President's uh, speech at the House of Commons, I believe it was, in England. Boris Johnson gave a warning. He was giving a status on international relations and gave a warning, very clear. That was a very clear statement that we have the very concerned about the risk of Iran's development of nuclear weapons potential and that they need to be compliant with the what we call the Iran nuclear deal and that that's for the security of the Middle East as well as for their own people. Uh, the U.K. is taking some strong positions, as we're discussing, and uh, now they have the presidency of the G7, And Boris Johnson was even considering to expand it to like a G10, which would include uh, three other democratic nations. Quickly, if you will, John, we're running out of time. Talk to me about Turkey. We started our conversation with NATO's concern, but Turkey is preparing a clash with Israel, Greece, and the European Union over the eastern Mediterranean, a key region of that part of the world. Yes, we discussed last week that uh, Greece, Cyprus, and Israel have signed an agreement to lay the largest and the deepest uh, power cable across the eastern Mediterranean uh, called the Euro-Asia Interconnector. Turkey is very angry, saying that they need to have permission to be able to do this. Not only brings Israel closer to the European nations, and Turkey tried to dismantle that from happening and tried to offer them particular concessions. But now we have this situation, and Turkey is reacting because it actually moves against their aspirations, uh, as we know, for expansion in eastern Mediterranean. Turkey very active in their region of the world, but also active in Bible prophecy. We'll get to that when I take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. John, thank you for this very important report. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy, and keep looking at the book. Exactly. Right now, we're going to the Washington, D.C. area. Longtime broadcast partner with us, Colonel Bob McGinnis, who works at the Pentagon. He's a retired military man, uh, but they brought him back in order to help in strategic planning. Bob sent me a scathing report just recently about the Biden administration and how they are handling the military. Bob, I want to talk to you about that. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm glad to be with you, Jimmy. Why do you say that in less than two months in office, President Biden is guilty of rank malfeasance when it comes to America's security? Well, it seems as if social engineering is something that the Democrats that occupy the White House like to do with the military. You know, back in 93 when I retired at the Pentagon and I wrote uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you know, that was something Bill Clinton pushed on the military. And then Barack Obama came in and he re-engineered all the exceptions for women in direct ground combat, removed those, and so he pushed women... Uh, into a very precarious situation. In fact, I wrote a book, uh, Dangerous Consequences, How Cowards Are Pushing Women into Combat. And then, you know, the first thing that 
Biden did when he walked in the door of the White House was to say, we need to have more transgenders, and we need to take non-warrior experienced women and have them run our combatant commands. Now, those are the latest changes, and I expect more, not only draconian cuts to the budget, but I've seen his uh, national security strategy, at least the interim version, and it's all about this leftist agenda and nothing about defending this country. And, of course, we've seen what's happened in the southwest border, which endangers all Americans. And even, you know, prudent military people will tell you that's a national security crisis in the making. Uh, And yet this administration is just going in a very radically different direction. Well, Bob, is there a readiness-busting social agenda that is at work here in the Pentagon, in the United States military, that is harmful? Oh, it's clearly harmful. The readiness of the force is its ability to conduct uh, military combat operations where required, whether it's on our southwest border or overseas against the Chinese. You know, as we spend our resources and our time doing these silly engineer things, uh, whether it's the latest on race theory or diversity or whatever, which is draining our time away. Uh, Meanwhile, our adversaries, the Chinese and others, are not wrapped around this silliness. They're doing the prudent things that militaries do. They train hard in preparation for future combat. My concern, if you follow China at all, is that they have every intention of being a world-class military by 2035, and I suspect they'll beat that, given our own report from the Pentagon this past fall, which said they're beating this in three critical areas, and they're likely to improve on that in the coming years. And so we could easily fall in some sort of a trigger mechanism that would lead to a, a combat engagement with the Chinese in the next decade or so. Uh, if we're not careful. And yet, this administration is doing everything it can, as far as I'm concerned, to weaken our capability of defending ourselves. And at the same time, that's going on in the administration. China and even Russia watching very closely what's going on. They're well pleased with what is happening in the U.S. military. Are they not as they make preparations, possibly to try to even destroy the United States? Well, there's no question. Years ago, Mao Zedong, when he was the president, the top communist in China, it made it very clear that the destruction of the United States of America was something that he wanted to focus on. And even President Xi, you know, the current president, uh, has fallen in, in line with what Mao has said, and they've written in their own doctrine that they must sidestep many of our capabilities and defeat us economically and militarily. So that's why I wrote a book in 2018, uh, which was the um, Alliance of Evil, which is about the Cold War with China and Russia. We are in a Cold War. I don't think there's any reasonable doubt about that. In fact, the end of this particular week, uh, we're seeing a meeting between our current Secretary of State with his China-Chinese counterparts talking about some of these contentious issues. China is deadly serious in the way it's going, and we better wake up. And the Biden administration seems to be asleep at the switch. Bob, let me ask, you've mentioned several books that you have written in the past. 
Where are they available? Amazon.com, is that one location they could find your books? Yeah, Amazon.com, certainly Barnes & Noble. Most of the major uh, book resellers around the world have my books, so it's, it's pretty easy to get a hold of them. Let me speculate just for a moment, and I think speculation focused on the issue that I want to talk to you about is a viable possibility. Let's say that the Biden administration is cut short for some reason. He is a very old president, the oldest one serving in the United States, and a Kamala Harris administration come into place. Would that be better or would that be worse? Well, I'm afraid it would be worse, Jimmy. Kamala Harris has a reputation well-deserved based upon her own background. Uh, if you look at her background, her parents were, were both leftists. There's, there's no question about it. They taught at Stanford. They spawned the Black Panther movement to a certain degree, and their associations were like that. Uh, Ms. Harris, of course, after graduating from Howard University Law School, she worked hand-in-glove and became the mistress of Willie Brown, who was the mayor of San Francisco, who was a very close friend of the Chinese premier, and uh, called him a friend. And in fact, Willie Brown even hosted and sponsored a Communist Party uh, gala, uh, not too far from San Francisco, but while he was still the mayor. And then, of course, you have Kamala's sister was involved with Marxists at Stanford. Uh, you have her own husband. Kamala Harris's husband is in a major global law firm that has in its ranks uh, communist Chinese and people that have been appointed to communist Chinese panels. You have others. Uh, her campaign director, a manager of this past summer when she was running for president herself, uh, was a, a far leftist who worked for MoveOn.org, a George Soros organization. Even some of the polling indicates by reputable firms that Kamala Harris was indeed the most liberal of all senators, to include Bernie Sanders. She was the left of Bernie Sanders. So if you talk about someone that's a leftist, someone that has communist stripes, someone that is really radicalized, she's the person. And yet she's a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States, given you know, what appears to be a, a mental... Uh, capability lapsing uh, within Mr. Biden. Bob, I know you very well. For many, many years, we have partnered here in broadcasting. In fact, you just assisted our production team in helping us to put together our next documentary, answering the question, if the United States is not in Bible prophecy, then what is the destiny of the United States. So thrilled to have you a part of that production. I know that as a Christian, you've studied the Word of God, but as a military man in the past, you've studied the history of America and the makeup of America. That leads to my last question. Is it not true that the main purpose of a national government is to secure our nation from an external attack a threat of some type? Well, certainly a simple reading of the Constitution of the United States uh, would bring you to the decision and the conclusion that the primary purpose of this country is to defend us against foreign and domestic enemies. Domestic, I would argue, is people coming in across an open border. 
uh, and foreign would be the Chinese, Russians, or whomever uh, would want to attack us. And yet, this government has completely uh, gotten out of uh, the reins and is going in a very bizarre, what I'd argue is a Marxist direction. Of course, that's you know, the subject of my new book coming out in a month or so, which is Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. You know, that they are following an agenda that you know, Karl Marx laid out in the Communist Manifesto in 1848, and it's emerging in a way that is frightening today, given what we've seen in uh, the former Soviet Union and what we see today in Communist China. That's the direction they want to take this country. And believe it or not, the Democratic Party, and it's not just Kamala Harris, it's many of the other people in the Democratic Party uh, are in the back pocket of the Communist Chinese, have a lot of history over the last hundred years, which I chronicle and give me liberty, not Marxism, that people need to appreciate that this is truly an existential threat in the direction and the longevity of the United States. And this could easily explain why the United States is not in biblical end times prophecy. And let me tell everyone listening in to this conversation, we will have Bob McGinnis, Colonel McGinnis, here at the broadcast table a couple of months from now when his brand new book comes out, talking about the book and having another interview with Bob to help us understand the end times. Bob, thank you so much for giving us a moment today. Appreciate it. God bless. We're looking forward to that next conversation about your new book. Well, thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to have one more broadcast partner, David James, And we'll be talking about transgenders. That's a very interesting subject, understanding what's going on there as well. David James comes to the broadcast table to give us that information in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, our last half hour. We'll have David James at the broadcast table in our conversation on transgenderism upcoming in a moment. Be sure to answer my poll question. It's on my homepage of my website, prophecytoday.com. Here's the question. When we as Christians are confronted by the issue of transgenderism, an issue that even the Pentagon is dealing with, Do you think we must make our decisions on this global issue, on what God's Word reveals on transgenderism? That's the poll question, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a conversation on a weekly basis. This time we're going to be talking about a Canadian teen help to transition gender and the father goes to jail. That's going to be the subject. But first, a question, as we do most every single week when David and I get together. David, this week we have a question from a listener concerning the parable of the ten virgins there in Matthew chapter 25 and whether it is connected with the Jewish feast. Well, Jimmy, I know this parable is confusing to a lot of people, and there are sometimes different interpretations given by different conservative dispensational scholars. Our listener wrote this, Please help me with the parable of the ten virgins. 
I believe I understand this is about judgment concerning the Jewish people. Is there any connection to this parable in the marriage supper of the Lamb? For example, does Jesus and his bride return to earth to have some sort of celebration with the saved Jews from the tribulation during the millennium? And I believe the marriage supper of the Lamb does take place in heaven, but is there some fulfillment of a Jewish feast connected to the parable? So, Jimmy, I don't know that we can say that there is a Jewish feast directly connected to the parable itself, but of course, there are three feasts of the Lord connected with the return of Jesus Christ, and these are the fall feasts of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. And of course, the setting for the parable of the Ten Virgins is Matthew 25, and that's the return of the Lord at the end of the tribulation period, as was discussed in the previous chapter. And our listener is correct. The parable is about the judgment of Jews, and this would be those who aren't saved during Daniel's 70th week, while other Jews will be saved, and they will be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ with his bride. And so they will enter into the millennial kingdom along with us, his church. And we know from chapter 24 that unbelievers will be taken away to judgment at Christ's return. So when that happens, for the first time in history, every living Jew will be a believer, and thus uh, all Israel will be saved, fulfilling Paul's words, as he says there in Romans chapter 11. I'll have to agree with you, David. That is somewhat of a difficult passage to come to an understanding of, but I think you did an excellent job there. Appreciate it so much. You know, we've been following a disturbing story out of Canada about a father who could be facing jail time because of his stand against his daughter transitioning to a boy. Talk to us about this. Well, Jimmy, the Toronto Star reported that the father of a 14-year-old girl was taken into custody on Tuesday, and I'm quoting, the British Columbia father has been a vocal critic of his transgender child's decision to pursue hormone treatment, and he was placed in handcuffs on Tuesday and remanded to custody after being rebuked by a judge for persistently and consistently violating court-ordered publication bans, restricting what he can say about the case. Another website, globalnews.ca, reported this. The boy, now 15, has said he has identified as a boy since he was 11 and began exploring transition treatment since he was 13. The boy's father first went to court in 2018 after learning of his son's intentions, arguing that no treatment should be provided if he didn't approve or give permission. So, Jimmy, I don't know if you noticed, but the article referred to this man's daughter as a boy. So the father had gone to court to stop the injection of puberty blockers and testosterone into his 14-year-old daughter after health care professionals had denied him guardianship rights, and he was told by British Columbia's highest court not to stand in the way of the gender transition and that he should try to understand gender dysphoria. And let me read another quote from the Global News article. It says the British Columbia Supreme Court sided with the boy in an earlier decision saying he didn't need his father's consent. The father was also served with an injunction that warned any attempt to pressure his son to abandon treatment was a form of family violence. You know, it's very interesting, this unfolding there in Canada. It's going to be happening in the United States as well. And I think it's key that we discuss the issue, focus on it, and cause the body of Christ then to study the Word of God 
see what it has to say. I think about this father, and understandably, he's been battling this in the courts. And the courts, I understand, have not always been in agreement on the issue. And then the mother, apparently, hasn't been a help either. What about the mother, and what about the courts? Well, this couple are divorced, and I'm not sure when that happened. And the girl's mother has supported the medical treatments, which definitely didn't help the situation as the father tried to put a stop to it. The postmillennial.com website reported that in April 2019, the British Columbia Supreme Court issued an order that the father may not refer to his 14-year-old girl as a girl or by his original name. And the father had gone to the media to tell a story and refused to accept his daughter's gender identity in a series of interviews that were published online. And then that post-millennial article went on to say, Justice Francesca Marzari ruled that any attempt to persuade the child that he is a girl constitutes, quote-unquote, family violence because it would cause him, quote-unquote, psychological abuse in the form of harassment and coercion. And after that, Jimmy, in January of 2012, the British Columbia Court of Appeal upheld the previous ruling that allowed the BC team to receive testosterone treatments to transition. However, while the appeals court acknowledged his daughter's mental anguish, they said the father's actions did not meet the threshold of family violence, and so they overturned the lower court ruling limiting who he could talk to. But the judges still said that he must acknowledge and refer to his child as a boy and by the name the teen has chosen, and this was under the threat of contempt of court, meaning he could face jail time just for using the wrong pronouns and referring to his own child. David, I've got to say that this is very scary. In fact, this whole issue of transgenderism and gender dysphoria and homosexuality is actually a global one. You sent me another article about a controversy over conversion therapy there in the United Kingdom. Speak to that issue. Well, the Premier Christian News website just ran an article earlier this week with the title, Evangelical Alliance Challenges Government Over Conversion Therapy Ban." The Evangelical Alliance had written to uh, Boris Johnson uh, with concerns over the plans to eradicate conversion therapy in the United Kingdom. So, Jimmy, historically, conversion therapy has involved everything from pastoral counseling to extreme misguided measures such as electroshock therapy in order to suppress or change same-sex attraction or gender identity. And, of course, we wouldn't accept those more extreme measures either. And the article goes on to say that last week, Mr. Johnson said the government would bring plans forward to ban the therapy shortly. And this came after the resignation of three advisors who quit over claims that government is a hostile environment for LGBT plus people. Then last week, the UK Prime Minister said, I think this practice is repulsive and I think it's abhorrent and I'm sorry these advisors have gone, but be in no doubt that we will deal with this issue. In response, Jimmy, the Evangelical Alliance said that while the government has committed to end conversion therapy, it has failed to offer a definition of what that means or set out clearly what is meant by this commitment. And then they went on to argue 
for evangelical Christians, the teaching of the Bible is clear that sexual activity is restricted to monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. For Christians who hold this biblical teaching, it is essential that those who experience same-sex attraction are free to pursue and receive support to help them live in accordance with their beliefs, meaning biblical beliefs. Honestly, David, I'm reminded of the proverbial frog in the pot of boiling water that we're just slowly being conditioned to accept the perversion of human sexuality. Would you agree with that? Uh, I would, and I think that the fact that we now live in such a global society with instantaneous transference of information and ideas around the globe, literally within seconds, these inevitable influences happen on every society, and we're moving toward a lowest common denominator of ethics and morality. And I think we also need to remember that if these things are happening in other English-speaking countries, especially to our northern neighbor, we're essentially joined at the hip with Canada, and linguistically and culturally, and except maybe Quebec, we literally have this shared border, which is almost open for most people. Uh, Amazon.com has started pulling all books that discuss any sort of conversion therapy or anything that disparages the LGBTQ community. Uh, last week, for example, the Wall Street Journal ran an article with a headline, Amazon won't sell books framing LGBTQ plus identities as mental illnesses, and the article goes on to say Amazon.com, Inc. said it recently removed a three-year-old book about transgender issues from its platform is because it decided not to sell the books that frame transgender and other sexual identities as mental illnesses. So, Jimmy, we're increasingly being bombarded by the media, movies, television shows, commercials, and now by those in the medical professions and politicians. This isn't going away, and we may well have reached an unacceptable point of no return, I would say. I want to tell you, I believe exactly what you just said. Judy, my wife, and myself, when we're watching a television program, we have some favorites, but when they try to bring in these perverted issues, then we just don't watch that program anymore. We just cut it off, and I think people ought to start doing that. And since inevitably it is coming, what do you think uh, churches and ministries need to be doing to prepare people for what seems to be coming, and very quickly? Well, I think several things can be done. There are preemptive steps, and I don't know how effective they'll be, but we need to start being on the move and being prepared. For example, just as churches sometimes bring in people to speak about the right to life versus abortion, I think we need to begin doing occasional seminars in our churches concerning uh, sexuality and the changes that are happening. I think the majority of believers in at least most uh, conservative evangelical churches are personally committed to biblical values concerning human sexuality, but I also think that most may not be equipped to answer challenges by those who are committed to the range of LGBTQ arguments by those who have carefully developed gender identity, uh, ideology, and language. Are parents equipped to speak about these things with their children, especially to effectively counter with Scripture arguments that kids are going to be exposed to, whether it be in school or television commercials? 
I think churches and Christian schools and parents are going to need to be more proactive in dealing with these things. I think any church or organization that hasn't carefully prepared a worded section with biblical support in their doctrinal statements or constitution or position papers are setting themselves up for potential serious trouble in the future. And I think some of us, as we keep on keeping on and preaching the truth, we may be faced with spending jail time for our convictions, and we need to be prepared for that. Well, those are some great ideas that you've just given to our listeners. And some of you may not have been able to get them all. Go back to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can find this conversation, re-listen to it. And also read through Luke chapter 17, where the Lord said, As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be at the time of the coming of Jesus Christ. David, great research. Thank you so much. It was a topic we needed to discuss. Shed some light on. Appreciate it. We'll have another such topic next week. So looking forward to that. Thanks, Jimmy. I look forward to it as well. We're going to take a quick break. Let's go to the Bible. David suggested we need to understand what God's Word says. Let's go and we'll put together all the reports from my broadcast partners and take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Thank you for joining us today on Prophecy Today weekend. 
for the purpose of hearing these very informative reports from my broadcast partners. By listening to these very important conversations, you can better be informed on how current events in our world today are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We offer this service on a weekly basis to keep you informed. If you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, it's on the right-hand column of the home page. As you scroll down, you'll find it. That's where we have archived all of our conversations with my broadcast partners. They are there for you to listen to them at your convenience. That's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And by the way, be sure to tell a friend and or a family member about these reports. Now please stay tuned for my prophetic perspective on this news. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical activities of the world, and he told us about President Biden calling Russian President Vladimir Putin a killer. On an ABC interview, President Biden did answer a question saying that Vladimir Putin was indeed a killer. Russia responded by saying this was an attack on all of Russia. You know, you poke the bear and you will get in trouble. Remember, Russia leads a coalition of Islamic nations to destroy the state of Israel. That's Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. President Biden has poked the bear. These prophecies could well be fulfilled very quickly. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. He talked about some positive news out of the Middle East, new Bible fragments and scrolls found at the Dead Sea. This discovery may well be one of the greatest archaeological finds in history. These scrolls, remember, give us the foundation for our Bible, especially the book of Zechariah, which was found this time. Zechariah talking about the city of Jerusalem, mentioning Jerusalem some 37 times, and the fact that it will be the center of controversy in the last days. And in addition to that, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, giving to us information about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Winky Madad, he is very politically savvy, gave us an update on the upcoming Israeli elections. This next Israeli election will be number four, Within two years, the instability of the Israeli government is actually saying to Israel's enemies, we are vulnerable, you can come in and try to destroy us. Remember, God uses human government to direct this world in the ways that will fulfill his plan for the future. And that seems to be happening today. John Rood covers the European Union for us. His lead story, the chief of NATO, says that he is very much concerned about Turkey. 
Remember, NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is the military arm of the European Union. Now, Turkey is not a member state of the European Union, but is a member state of NATO. Tayyip Erdogan, president of Turkey, revealed a map this week which helped us to realize what he wants to control, which is all of the Middle East, with the exception of Israel and Iran. Study Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, mention modern-day Turkey. Colonel Bob McGinnis, working at the Pentagon in the area of strategic planning, gave us a scathing report on what's happening at the Pentagon under President Biden, who has just been in charge for the last couple of months. Remember, the military in America is key to protecting the citizens of America from an external attack. If the military is not in readiness form, that could mean the destruction or the demise of America. Maybe that's why America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. David James and I had our weekly conversation, and we focused on transgenderism. This is a sexual sin, and it is not in God's will for this to happen. Just remember what he said in the Bible. Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed for sexual sin. Romans chapter 1, focusing on God turning his back on those involved in sexual sin. And Luke chapter 17 says, As it was in the days of Lot, so it shall also be in the days of the coming of the Lord. That is a day in which we are living, and it is becoming a global issue. If you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, it's on the right-hand column of the home page. As you scroll down, you'll find it. That's where we have archived all of our conversations with my broadcast partners. They are there for you to listen to them at your convenience. That's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And by the way, be sure to tell a friend and or a family member about these reports. All of these reports from my broadcast partners and my prophetic perspective on them is tangible evidence that the stage is set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled and seemingly very, very soon now. But please remember the next event on God's prophetic plan is the rapture, an event that could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up unto Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.